Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we look at the opportunities in UK equities, whilst also discussing whether the Eat Out to Help Out scheme has helped and what the near-term outlook for the UK economy is. With Nikki Eggers, Head of Investments, Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer, and Stephen Peters, Senior Investment Manager. Hello, welcome to another edition of Word on the Street. This week, Will and I are joined by one of our in-house experts on the UK equity market, Stephen Peters, and we're going to zero in a bit more on the outlook for the UK economy and her various markets. So, Will, let's just start off with the economic context a little. Last week, you mentioned that it wasn't really worth getting into this kind of country-level coronavirus derby that much of the media seems to be sucking into. It's really simply too hard to tell and too early, really, to tell which countries have handled the the fallout better than others for whatever reason. But nonetheless, where do you see us here in the UK in terms of the latest data? Yeah. Uh, hi, Nikki. Hi, hi, Stephen. I think, yeah, I mean, I'd stand by that point on the coronavirus sort of derby. The, I mean, I think from what we're seeing at the moment, the economy's continued to recover pretty rapidly over the course of the summer. So looking at consumer spending from, from various angles, actually, you can see that the all-important um, UK consumer, it's a very large part of our economy consumption. The U- all important UK consumer trying to return to some form of normality. So if you look at it, the official retail sales data for July showed offline non-food sales getting back to nearly 90% of February levels. Uh, So that's up from 70% in June. Now, mm-hmm. it's interesting also, our, our colleagues at the Investment Bank were taking a look at the effects of the Eat Out to Help Out scheme, sort of scrutinizing you know, open table data, among other things. Uh, and they point not only to a strong take up in the scheme, but encouragingly, um, they show that last Saturday, the 22nd of August, was the first weekend since the outbreak of the pandemic in which diner numbers were higher on this data than the corresponding day a year ago. And that's notable because okay. if you think about it, Eat Out, well, yeah, Eat Out and also Eat Out to Help Out as I found out to my cost, is actually not running at weekends. I should have checked no. the detail. Um, but I think, you know, that's... <laughs> Always read the small print, Will. Yeah, a full price burger, but never mind. But And I think obviously there are parts of the economy that remain on the floor. So, you know, hotel occupancy, you look at those data, yeah. you know, travel data, the obvious candidates. Uh, and the real concerns, I think, you know, looking ahead, I don't want to be sort of too much, you know, glass half full here because the real concerns lie ahead in a way and that's what's going on underneath that furlough scheme uh, when that's phased out and you know we're going to find out yeah okay and and Stephen hi hi just just going back to what Will was saying there on the eat out to help out scheme does that kind of policy support get factored into the investment thinking of the fund managers that you and the team are talking to I mean I guess we're sort of asking how granular do these guys get when they're looking at the various companies they they invest in or or are considering investing in. Um, yeah, hi Nikki, hi Will. Um, the um, the fund managers do get very granular for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think policy, uh, government policy support may be uh, considered more in other sectors other than maybe restaurants. But one listed restaurant stock that comes to mind is Restaurant Group which is the owner of uh, Frankie and Benny's and Chiquitos, but also uh, Wagamama's, which it bought last year and mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, is trying to do some, some good things with. But like I said, policy support probably is thought of in other sectors rather more so than in restaurants. And, and can you give an example of the kind of detail, the, the impacts they're looking at? It's always 
reassuring to hear how specialists are, are specialists can get. Oh, sure. Um, so uh, to think of, well, there's, a few, there's quite a few sectors, actually. If we think about potential impacts of future government support, maybe infrastructure as well, things like house builders uh, are, are a, a prime example. Um, uh, brick manufacturers, there's a couple of listed brick manufacturers in the UK and also aggregate stocks, you know, people providing stones and cement and things like that. Um, but also if we move away from domestic housing into more you know, civil engineering, the outsourcers and the, and the construction companies, um, there's an expectation by many of the managers for more infrastructure spending. Uh, and so a number of them have been buying those types of names in anticipation of uh, increased government support to try and uh, you know, mitigate the effects of any future recession. Uh, I'd also just touch on renewable energy and uh, things like smart metering. A number of managers are quite interested in, the, in smart metering as a way of uh, uh, accessing government support for you know, future um, or increased use of, of renewable energy in, in the home and, and elsewhere. Just jumping in as well. So I just thinking about kind of how chimpy analysts can get. So deep in my past, I started off as a food retail analyst. Um, and I remember an old kind of lag, an old hand telling me a uh, trick for getting the edge on the, the edge on the competition uh, was to check the dust on the various shelves in the supermarket. So he basically go into each product category uh, and try and get a sort of real time feel for margins uh, by guessing which ranges that store was shifting more of based on accumulated dust on your good or better wow. or uh, best <laughs> <from January. laughs> it's weird isn't it it was the moment i decided it wasn't for me in fairness but yeah it just shows you know, it shows how, how aggressive the arms race gets you'd really hope that there's no dust even if even if things have been sitting on shelves for a long time that they're thoroughly cleaned at the moment um but but i guess a useful example of the sort of the, the threshold of, of geekiness and obsession that, that we need to get over in order to compete against these types of people. Um, mm. But I guess what you're talking about there in, in your own inimitable style is, is, is effectively bottom-up research. It's, it's looking at things um, at the company level. Um, but where does the kind of view that Will and team um, factor into your investment processes, um, the more top-down piece? So, you know, from the perspective of the wider economy the the aggregate of all those firms how does that fit in um Stephen, do, do the fund managers on your patch focus on this area at all or are they only interested in that bottom-up view and then and then we sort of overlay the top down on it it's a really good question and the best answer is that there's a mix there are definitely some who uh do have a, a big interest in the in the macro um there are others who uh, and, and invest on that basis. There are others who will use it as an input. And then there are some, and this is probably most of them, who uh, they're entirely bottom up. They don't really worry too much about the macro. Mm -hmm. They just try and follow their process and buy uh, cheap stocks. And I think recent history is a good example of why many of them do that. Um, my experience was that in 2016, a lot of uh, UK equity fund managers their portfolios were positioned uh, in a certain way around the Brexit referendum and the Brexit referendum worked out the way they didn't expect. Uh, and we can debate the reasons why. And uh, uh, they were positioned that way. And uh, with that in mind, they, they performed very, very badly, many of them for, uh, uh, you know, uh, probably the rest of the year. Uh, and with that in mind, I think most of them would rather explain to clients why they underperformed on the basis of picking the wrong stocks, rather than saying, um, we had a ill thought out macro view, and, uh, and we were wrong. Yeah. 
uh, fair enough. And and I know you know the fund managers are probably not all saying the same thing. I'd I'd be amazed if they were. But do you get a sense from the community that you know what those expectations are currently around around the mac- macro backdrop and and how that might evolve? There's always a bit of positivity bias um, in in the fund management industry. You know they always think things are going to work out better than expected or better than consensus. Um, so the general views are that there will be a recession, that um, you know it's going to be difficult. But as I said, most of them focus mainly on the stocks. Uh, they will argue that um, you know the of, of course the stocks that they own are very well positioned to deal with whatever future economic environment um, results. Yeah, I guess I guess we're all a bit guilty of of hope being uh, being being the sort of the major emotion. Um, For sure. that, that we like to get behind, and and will I mean I guess do you get worried when you when you hear about these other you know very well informed groups of people in the financial community having having quite different views to the team here? Uh, it's a good question. I mean I, I, I'm almost more alarmed when everyone does share the same view, but I think there's there's True. there's a, yeah. there's a you know, that probably means it's the wrong one, but it, it's um, it's um, I think there's a couple of points to make. I mean I think you know point one. You know, what we are religious about here is trying to put together specialisms. And this goes to, to uh, Sir Stephen's point that he was just making. Uh, you know, we're always backing banging on about, and one way to think about it is the athletics comparison. Um, so, you know, heptathletes are inspirational physical specimens. There's no doubt about that. But in each discipline, there will be a specialist who can sprint faster, throw further, you know, jump higher, whatever. Now, what right. we're trying to do here, as you know, is not the heptathlete model. We're not trying to get someone who can do everything. Um, or a team that can do everything, we're putting together specialisms, both internally and externally, to produce, hopefully, a superior kind of performance outcome. So in this case, we look to these fund managers, exactly as Stephen said, for that single-minded focus on an informational advantage, an an edge over the stock-picking competition. Now, the second point, and this is going to sound weird, as usual, but actually, you know, our in-house kind of macro outlook is less in, is a less important input into our investing activities than people might think. We don't rate our soothsaying ability. Um, we'll leave that to Mystic Meg and Co. We are always essentially trying to assess the varying likelihood of a range of outcomes relative to that carefully calculated baseline probability Rob talked about so eloquently uh, a couple of weeks ago. And then you're putting that against the incentives on offer in the world's capital markets. And if you think about it, those incentives, you know, yields, implied returns. They are kind of market shorthand um, for how the rest of the world is perceiving that range of potential future outcomes. Long-winded answer. The short-winded answer is no. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, that does make sense. Actually, to be to be fair, well, it does make sense. But I guess I guess the other question I, I have on my mind around UK investments are really: to what degree does does the behaviour of UK companies or the market value of those UK companies actually reflect? The UK economy at all? Yeah, I mean, hardly at all at the index level. Um, I mean, we always refer back to a great paper from the Bank of England a few years back. It's one of the Bank of England staffers a few years back, and it showed, illustrated that I think around 90% of the variation in UK stock prices over a five-year period can be explained uh, by factors external to the UK. Um, so it, it's it's uh, the UK economy at the index level, at least, is almost irrelevant. I get that. But, but say, for the sake of argument, not saying that I do, but say I really wanted my investment portfolio to to really reflect the outlook for the UK economy. What, where would I go with that? 
what are my options? So firstly, I mean, I'd, I'd reiterate Will's view that, you know, the UK market is not the UK economy. This is the argument that um, people have been using for many years about Japan as well, I'd say, but it's even more relevant today to the UK. Um, the UK is dominated by the multinational companies. I mean, many years ago, um, a company I worked for invented uh, with FTSE, the uh, index provider, multinational and local indices to kind of illustrate this problem or this, this mm -hmm. situation where you had you know, a multinational index and a local index and fund managers were tasked to run money um, against those index separately. But if you just want to invest in, a, in what would be the locals index, you really have to look um, there are some very good larger com larger cap companies, but mainly it's medium and small sized companies which are uh, more UK focused, um, have some you know, niche technologies. I mean, that's where you do find some technology um, within the UK market, down in the medium and smaller sized companies, some intellectual property. Um, but you do, again, have some world leading companies down there. I mean, you have, um, you know, you have companies which are exporting military equipment to, and being used by the US military, for example. So you're not buying, uh, you know, substandard, sub-quality companies. Yes, they're smaller in market capitalization, but these are some very, very high quality, globally regarded, medium and small size companies. Yeah. And, and I guess the thing that is pretty striking is, is as you look at the performance of the global stock market so far this year, it's actually up in terms of returns since since the start of the year. And obviously, we've seen a lot of volatility with, within that period, a lot of movement up and down. But underneath that, underneath that global view, there's quite a huge difference in experience if I'm, say, an investor that is only looking at UK companies uh, or equities at, at the exclusion of anything of anything else it's fascinating isn't it i mean it's it's particularly stark this year um and i think you know the, the, the overall message is is you know diversify don't just invest in your own borders there's a bigger world out there you're missing out on you know all of that innovative capacity if you're just limiting yourself um to that um uh, to that home market but there's another point and, I, and i'm boring about this point i'm going to concede that before i start so again <laughs> this may be one that doesn't make the cutting floor but i think i think it's important because i mean in spite of our best efforts to the contrary we as an industry and, and it's likely broader than that we as a species we get very carried away with short-term performance we just we yeah. put too much in, we took too much weight on it now if you put that together with the idea that the world economy and her capital markets can tend to move in regimes or super cycles where you know, common regulatory, sociopolitical, economic factors tend to reward certain types of investments more than others. You know, so this regime, for instance, that we're likely deep into now has seen ever lower real interest rates, you know, and certain types of company do incredibly well. Now, the problem you can find, though, putting these things together is that portfolios of supposedly diversified investments are sucked inexorably towards winning strategies. Mm. So diversification is slowly but surely whittled away. Um, you know, think about it, sticking with a losing asset class or sector is tough for a couple of years, but what about a decade? How do you explain yeah. the presence of that seemingly perpetual drag on performance to your clients, uh, who understandably why you, haven't, you can't just back a portfolio of winners? But remember, and this is the most important thing, I think, is that we simply don't know enough about the future, back to that mystic Meg point, to allow this to happen. Regimes change and can do so suddenly and unpredictably. Uh, and such changes that can, you know, can really leave those who have allowed their investments to become too reliant on the key tenets of the previous regime, say ever lower real interest rates, it can leave them very vulnerable. Now, maybe this crisis is the trigger for such a regime change, maybe not. But I think the point that we would want to say is that I would not want to bet all my savings or anyone else's on one answer or the other. 
if you see what I mean. Mm, yeah. Uh, Stephen, any, any thoughts from you on that? Only to reiterate strongly everything Will said. And, and I'd also point out that, um, you know, history is replete uh, or full of, um, you know, front page Sunday newspaper uh, or, you know, front of the money section of Sunday newspaper articles saying, you know, this fund manager is the next whoever um, <laughs> only you know only for them a few years later to be you know not necessarily down the job center but uh, definitely not flavor of the month um so i would yeah. say that you know to to listeners that if you if you know if you read or you hear about um or is inclined to invest in one of these fund managers that have generated a, an exceptionally strong track record over the last decade or so be careful because you know um uh, you know as as somebody once said to, or David Cameron once said to Tony Blair, you know, you know, you were the future once. Well, uh, you know, these these fund <laughs> managers may have, you know, maybe maybe flavour of the month today, but they uh, they may not be in a few years' time as as the regime changes. Yeah, um, very very salient points there, and I think I think definitely one, you know, again, if I think back to my early career, I, I remember very much being schooled in the, you know, you must not fall in love with with any of your investments. Um, you know, you've got to reassess them continuously, and they've got to prove their worth very regularly. And if you can't, if you can't justify why you wouldn't buy it again today, then you really shouldn't even be holding it. Absolutely, totally true. Yeah, totally, true. definitely, definitely. One final question to you, Stephen, if I if I may, and it's actually come from our listeners, which is which is the sort of cloak and dagger reason why we sucked you into coming on here because Will and I couldn't answer it. Um, but, but specifically, um, as as you know, a lot of our a lot of our listeners are you know based in the UK. There's a there's a income reliance to a certain degree on on any investments that they might have. So, with respect to UK dividends, these these have always been a quite c- important component of why you know people generally tend to invest in UK stocks. But obviously, we've seen dividend levels. You know, reduced any any thoughts on on where we go from here yeah 2020 really has been an analysis for uk dividends um yeah you know anywhere between 40 and 50 percent cuts in dividend distributions from uk companies it's it's really been quite i mean it's unprecedented it really is there are obviously other ways of getting dividends in you know listed shares and and you know alternative assets and that kind of stuff but focusing entirely on uk equities it's really the case that it's very stock specific and it's quite sector specific. Uh, people don't. Uh, some analysis suggests that the level of UK dividends and the monetary amount of UK dividends that was paid in 2019 may not be reached again until 2026. That's how long it will take for the you know the total amount of dividends to recover. Um, but we're seeing things happen already. Um, we're seeing companies come back and say, you know, we paused our dividends like we said we would. Um, but like we said we would, we're resuming them. So today mm-hmm. uh, we're recording on Thursday. Today we've had WPP, the uh, the um, advertising agency. Last week we had uh, um, insurance company Admiral coming back to the dividend list. The important thing to note is the very best managers will not just focus on the historic, uh, traditional big sectors to get their dividends from. They will look across the market and particularly they will look for companies who have temporarily paused their dividends um, but can bring them back and can bring them back sustainably 
and as importantly, grow them over time. So that's what I would say to people, you know, look for fund managers who are, if you need income, who can find sustainable levels of dividend yield, but also growing levels of dividend. And I, and I guess the other aspect is is just be you know, somewhat realistic about the environment in which these managers are, are selecting at the moment. So they're not miracle workers, right? If, if it's not there to be had, then they're going to struggle to provide those kinds of levels that were seen before. I, I think that's right. I think... Um, it is a it is a very very dangerous strategy just to buy high dividend yield companies simply because of the risks that that entails. Um, mm. So I'd agree with you. A growth and income approach, I think, is a is a is a sensible one to adopt and one that a lot of our fund managers do indeed follow. So diversification, um, both both capital and and income returns as well. Good stuff. Stephen, great to have you on. Thank you, Will, as always. Thank you to our listeners. And do keep subscribing and recommending us to your friends. Thanks very much. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.